Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. This morning we are going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. Not Matthew 6 and not Luke 11 because that's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples but he never actually prayed. And John chapter 17, we come to one of several prayers that he did pray. This will be the longest prayer that he prays. John Knox, I wished he were here today, I promise I'd have him preach, but since he's been dead since the 1500s, we'll let him rest. John Knox said this passage in John 17 is nothing short of the almighty high priest spoken of in the book of Hebrews inviting us to join him in the holy of holies. As a matter of fact, when John Knox died, he had his wife read this passage over and over until he finally drew his final breath. When we read the passage, I will stop a few times along the way. I I don't like doing it, but this is an incredible passage of Scripture. I've never preached one time from this that I can remember. It's just a powerful word. Jesus is about to pray. Now, Why would Jesus pray anyway? Is he not God? Well, yes, he is. But is he fully God? Well, yes, he is. But we have to understand something that is hard to understand, if not impossible, but we have to at least accept the fact that God Almighty, he relates to himself as a community. He is one God And he makes himself known in three persons. And he relates to himself in three persons. In order for you and I to better understand those three persons, he gave them names. The Holy Spirit, the Father, something he would teach us what that's about, and the Son. But that's how God had related to himself all through eternity. God's eternal. He is always existed. There just happened to have been a time when God, in the midst of his eternal existence, he just kind of ripped open a hole and he put the universe there. And, And he created everything that you and I know. Because he wanted to make himself known to something. He wanted, we use the word glorify a lot, but it's, it's, it's like he wanted to make his hidden attributes known. He wanted to manifest himself to something. So he created this world, knowing all along that it would cost him his life, that he would wind up living here and dying here and being raised on the third day. But even with all of that, 
He created us, put us here, and He has loved us. We're going to get to follow Him into the Holy of Holies, so to speak, and listen to our high priest pray to the Father on our behalf. Don't lose sight of that as we read this chapter. It really is. I just, it, it's the coolest thing. I, I thought about it uh, yesterday. I, I, it, it is like Christ has told us as believers, come on, I'm going to take you into the Holy of Holies and, and I'm going to pray to the Father for you. And, and we would be like, no, 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 we can't go in there if, if the temple still existed. Uh, look at that guard over there. He's already, we've got his attention. You know we're not supposed to go in there. But our Savior, our high priest is saying, oh, you can go in with me. Because I am your high priest. I'm not like the human priests that go in and out of that place. No, I'm an eternal high priest. And I represent you before the Father. Come on and hear me pray to our Father in heaven. Now he's going to do this in three steps. He's going to first of all pray for himself. He's about to go to the cross. And then after he prays for himself and says, Father, I want to be glorified and I want you to be glorified in what I'm about to do. Then he prays for his disciples. He says, I'm leaving this world, but they're not. They're going to be here a while. And they're going to need to be kept. I've kept them while I was here, Father. But I ask you, please keep these servants of mine. These who have believed on my name. And, and the big controversy was always, especially in the Gospel of John, who is Jesus? Did he really come from God? Is he really God? He says, Father, these are the ones that believed I came from you. He says, please take care of them. And then he spans 21 centuries and he prays for us. He says, there will be others, Father, that will believe because of these. He says, I want to pray for them too. Man, it is such an awesome word. Let's read together. John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things. I don't know how that's translated for you, but it really would be literally having spoke these things and I know we just got started, but let me stop and tell you what, what things. We, we shouldn't bypass stuff like that. What, what things is he talking about? Well, you have to go all the way back to chapter 14 in John. And there's where Jesus began his farewell discourse. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going away, and where I'm going right now, you cannot come. He starts telling them in John 14, all the way through chapter 16, that I am leaving. And where I'm going, you won't be able to be there for now. One day you will. I'll prepare a place for you. But for now, you cannot come to where I am. And the way you have known me and related to me, you will not be able to for a while. It's his farewell discourse. So after he had said these things to his disciples says, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. He's talking about going to the cross. Glorify your Son, that the Son 
may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. God gave us to his son as a gift. Just think about that for a second. Before the foundation of the world, not before you prayed the sinner's prayer or whatever. No, I'm talking about before the world was ever created, God knew that we would exist and He gave us to His Son even before the foundation of the world. Now, let's don't regress back to, well, well, what about those poor souls that He didn't give? I can tell you right now, if you want to be born again, if you want Jesus Christ into your heart this morning, if you want to have a relationship with God, you can. All you have to do is put your faith and trust in the very Son of God just like these disciples did. But I take great comfort this morning in knowing that even before he created the, 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 the first uh, little bacterium and the, uh, the first little flagellum and, and, and the flagellum motor and the little tail and all of that, before he made anything, he had already given Mike Snellgrove to Jesus Christ to keep forever. You say, that don't make sense. Isn't it great that it doesn't? Isn't it great to know we serve a God that went off and left our thinking on the back wheel? Wow. So David Cooper, I say to you this morning, he gave you to Jesus before the foundation of the world. And that little girl you loved so very much, he gave her to Jesus before the foundation of the world. And Terry Skidmore, I don't know where you, there he is back there. I'm going to tell you, when you go into surgery this coming Tuesday morning, buddy, I know that's a big deal. But you just remember, brother, that before the world was ever created, God had already given Terry Skidmore to Jesus Christ as a precious gift. And Miss Sharon, you make sure Brother Steve knows that we stood here and declared today that we know he's sick and we know he needs healing and we're praying for that. But we already know that he's been given to Jesus by God the Father before the world was ever even made. And so sorry for interrupting our reading. Couldn't help it. He says to them in verse 2, Even as you gave me authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given me, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life. What, what is eternal life? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Life, Not just getting to live a long time. If getting to live a long time would bring joy and pleasure and satisfaction to us, there would never be another suicide in the world. We would want to live as long as we possibly could. It's not about living a long time. It's about living through all eternity, knowing, having a relationship with God. Verse 4, I glorified you on the earth. I made you known. 
I let people know who you were. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before my beard was ever pulled or ever came down here and got sick or had people lie about me or spit in my face or hit me with their fist or misinterpret my teachings before any of that happened, he says, Father, you remember how it was. He said, restore that glory to me again. Man. He says, now they have come, verse 7, to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. Most didn't, but they did. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer, and he's speaking here as if it's happened, it hadn't yet. But he says, I am no longer in the world that would soon take place, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me, and I guarded them. And and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. That's not a word we use a lot. It means destruction. And he's talking about Judas. God finally honored his desire for selfishness so that the scripture would be fulfilled but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy full in themselves I have given them your word now when you you, he gave us God's word God's word is not there to please or suit anybody so notice what he says it God's word is just what God's word is and he said I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world even as I am not of the world I do not ask you to take them out of the world but keep them from the evil one They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Set them apart for a particular task, God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. I'm going to fulfill that purpose you gave me. I'm going to do what you sent me here to do. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And then he prays for us. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. 
that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, the ones whom you have given me, I desire that they will be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. The glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. One day I want all of them to come home with me, Father. And I want them to see something that will blow their mind. That's a major paraphrase. But I want them to see what they can't even imagine it was like before I even created that place. I want them to see it. So wonderful. Verse 25, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. God bless the reading of your word. He says, my hour has come. Throughout John's gospel, he repeatedly said, my hour has not come. Boy, you really got to look at the whole gospel. That's why I'm so excited that We're going to be able to help people read the Gospel of John that have never been able to read it. And this is one of the things they're going to get to read. But if you read the whole Gospel of John, you see how it builds up to all the way to chapter 17 and beyond. But he kept telling people, my hour's not yet come. That's the hour where he would be glorified and he would glorify the Father. Because there is nothing that's going to glorify God more than His willingness to come here to this earth and live and die on a cross for you and I. For Him to manifest His love, show His love, to glorify Himself, to make Himself known in that way, that was so incredible. And so, but along the way, they, they kept gnawing at Jesus, some who knew Him. The first time, His own mother did it. They were at a wedding and they ran out of wine and his mother came to him and told him says uh they're out of wine (laughs) now she didn't tell him you ought to make them some she just seemed to know that he could and and she probably knew you you know you can make something better than that stuff they bought in a box from walmart (laughs) and boy did he ever when he did make it but he looked at her and he says woman He never called his mother, mother, one time in all the New Testament. But he said, woman, what does that have to do with us? He says, my hour has not yet come. I didn't come here to do tricks to get people to believe in me. The main thing I came here to do is that's what I want people to glorify the Father and glorify me in. And my hour for that has not come 
yet come. Later on in chapter 7, they're having the Feast of Tabernacles down in Jerusalem. His disciples come to him. They're up in Galilee and they say, why don't we go down to Jerusalem and you can go to the Feast of Tabernacles. And they, they told him, they said, these people need to see what you can do. We watched you heal that guy the other day. We watched you t- touch a blind man, and that was just incredible. You've, you made spit and dirt. Maybe you've heard of that. And you made a blind man. See, the people in Jerusalem need to see that. And he said to them, he said, my time has not yet come. He says, back in chapter 7. He says, but your time is always opportune. You can go, and you can do some things down there. And then in verse 8 of chapter 7. He told him, says, go up to the feast yourself, but I do not go up now because my time has not yet fully come. So they went on to the feast without him. And then Jesus slipped into Jerusalem and they didn't even know he was there. So they were seeking to seize him because he was over in the temple in verse 30 of chapter 7. And they were trying to get their hands on him, not the disciples, but his enemies. And says, no man laid his hand on him. They couldn't couldn't grab him. They couldn't touch him. The Father was protecting him because his hour had not yet come. And then later, Jesus will go over to the Mount of Olives, and then he'll come back over to uh, the temple area on the way back over. Or as soon as he gets to the temple, they bring the woman caught in adultery and all of that. And, and then he began to speak in chapter 8, verse 20, in the treasury area as he taught in the temple and no one could seize him even then. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. So when was it that Jesus began to admit that, hey, my hour has come? Well, if you go to John chapter 12, I'm not saying turn there. Just, just try to hang on this morning. I'm telling you, I've been so nervous about this message. I'm like, God, I'm not qualified to speak. I can't. I mean, I, I'm never qualified, but never have I felt more inadequate than this morning. This is, this is just so incredible. But in John chapter 12, verse 23, it says, there were some Greeks who came. These were Gentiles. For the first time, some Gentiles showed up. The Jews had totally disregarded Jesus. They didn't believe He came from God. They did not believe God had sent Him. They totally disbelieved Him. They mocked Him and hated Him and never treated Him like the Messiah. And then there were some Greeks that showed up and they talked to Philip first and they said we want to meet this Jesus and and so Philip and Andrew got together and got ready to bring the Greeks to Jesus and then Jesus knew that even though my people have rejected me I came to my own and my own did not receive me but the Gentiles have finally showed up and that's when Jesus said for the first time my hour has come my hour has come. All through God, John's gospel, Jesus is, he, he, John never treats Jesus like he is just a Messiah to the Jews. If you go all the way back to the very first of the gospel of John, it says, John the Baptist cried out, he's the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the Jews. No, the sin of the world. 1 John 1.29 John 3.16, you've probably heard of it. For God so loved the world. 
And in John chapter 4, the first time that Jesus is ever called the Savior of the world, it was not by Jews, it was not by the Pharisees, it wasn't by the Sadducees or any religious group, it was by the Samaritans. The Samaritans came out to the well after the woman went home and testified about what Jesus had done for her. And they came out and said, is this not the Savior of the world? Man, John 6.33 says he gave his life for the world, and he gives life to the world. John 8.12 says he is the light of the world, and I love this last one I'll read. Oh, I love it. John 10.16, Jesus says that he will bring other sheep, other sheep. He says, I have other sheep. Really? I have other sheep, he said, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. He's talking about the Gentiles. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. John ten sixteen. And when they finally show up, he says, my hour has come. Well, boy, we could go on, but I, I want to get to three things about this prayer three things about this prayer first of all he prayed that you and I would see the glory of God you and I would see the glory of God verse 1 father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you how is someone glorified we're going to hit all of these pretty fast how is someone glorified? Well, when you glorify them, one great definition I found this week is you make known or you make manifest. That's a cool churchy word. But you make known hidden values and hidden riches. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew, kabod was a word that meant weight, heaviness. It's got something to it. It's like you pick up something that you think is cheap and you go, whoa, that thing's really made. Man, that didn't come from Harbor Freight. That, that, that's, you know, boy, my goodness. That thing's got some weight to it. That it's a, it, I, you didn't notice it at first, but then later you did. That's the word glory in the Hebrew. And you make known things, hidden values and hidden riches. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ said I did with the Father. I made you known, Father, on this earth. And when I go to that cross, they are going to understand some hidden riches about the Creator of the universe who never had to bother with these people down here, never had to worry about sin, could have wiped them out years ago they are going to learn about some hidden riches of your love like they have never heard about in their life he's about to glorify him it's so cool and first in john chapter 114 it says that he came and became flesh and dwelled among us and what did it say they beheld about him we beheld his glory and what two things did they discover when they beheld his glory? That he was full of grace and truth. Making God known to his friend. We couldn't have known him otherwise. He says, Father, I pray that I would be glorified and that you would be glorified in what's about to happen. Now I'm going to ask a question and we'll let Paul answer it. 
Did God answer his prayer? Philippians 2, 5. Paul told the Philippian church, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God Almighty exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Jesus got his prayer answered. He answered that prayer. How cool is that? Man, think about Jesus praying. We could learn so much from that. Oh, man, in our world today, it's and even in the church. Even in the church, excuse me. so much about rights and equality and all of that. God says, look at me and the Father and the Spirit and look how we get along. He even has already prayed. He says, I want my church to get along, God, like you and I do. We're one. You can't see one of us without seeing the other. If one of us is there, the other one's there. It's the way we are. It's just, it, it's a unity that, that is almost unexplainable. And the only way you and I can understand that is when we look at Jesus and we see him when he was here on the earth, guess what it said? Several times it says he was led by the Spirit. Why does he need to be led by the Spirit if he is God? Well, he is within himself showing submission. Not inequality. I get so tired of, of this business of people trying their best to make a case for women pastors. My first question is, why in the world would any woman in her right mind want to be a pastor? My goodness. But it's not about inequality. When God says that Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, and husbands and wives, submit yourselves to each other. It's not about inequality. It's about submission and, and being willing to, uh, uh, to, to, to give yourself submissively to each other. It is a reflection of the same relationship that God has with Himself. He prayed that we would see His glory. Secondly, He prayed that we would understand God's gift. That we would see his glory and understand his gift. Two quick things. The souls the Father had given him, even as you gave me, verse 2, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, talking about himself, that to all whom you have given me, he may give eternal life. And he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me or gave me out of the world, and they are yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word, all of them except for 
Judas, God took care of all of them, but he seemed to retain his fancy for independence. And he paid for it with eternity. Well, that's the deadly force that keeps most men out of the kingdom of God. He says, Father, you gave them to me before the foundation of the world. I, I don't, man, you know, one of the things we get all crossed up about, and it's so sad, we get to a verse like this, and then we start thinking about, okay, this must be Calvinism, and, and if it is, are we saying that God chose some to go to heaven and he chose some to go to hell? I think we have so regressed when we get to that point, we have so not understood an awesome, awesome, incredible truth. Because you and I live in the temporal. God lives in the eternal. There's not a yesterday or a tomorrow in God's business. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows all of that. So he was well within his capabilities before anybody ever accepted him as their Savior to choose them first. I already belonged to God before I was ever born. It's not about who all did He not choose. It's about everybody who wants to be born again, who wants to be a child of God. You can be. And guess what? Here is the good news. If you desire that from your heart, I can tell you before the world was ever created, God already chose you. So awesome. And then He talks about the souls the Father had given Him. Then the salvation that the Son had given us. He says that they may have eternal life. And then in verse 3, he says, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? He says that they may know you. Knowing God is eternal life. Now, let me explain a little about that. D.A. Carson said this, to know God is to be transformed and thus to be introduced to a life that could not otherwise be experienced. That's what happens when you come to know God. So what happens when you come to know God. You know, you and I look around us and we see a world that is flat come off the rails, friend. I've never seen so much crazy mess in my life. Wow. But our world is in a war with reality. Really. And you always lose that one. It's not going to work out. You can say, well, we want it to be this way or that way, but it's not going to be. Just how it is, and I know I could give tons of examples, but man, I want to highlight this and then move on to our last point. Knowing God, that is the life. Because knowing God is more than just knowing about Him. It is more than knowing Tiger Woods like I do. Don't forget I know Him. I won't shut up about it, will I? No, knowing God. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, it starts there where knowing someone in this sense was a powerful, intimate relationship. As a matter of fact, it is used to talk about sexuality 
Adam knew his wife, and she bore a son. And we're mostly adults here, but I'll keep it PG. But I'm telling you, there's intimacy there. There is submission involved in that. And the two become one flesh, he said. That's what he wanted Adam and Eve to be. And that man would cleave to his wife. That word is a word used for scales on a fish. He just made for her. And, and she is made for him. And, and when he said, I'm going to make him a helpmate, he said, that, that word in the Hebrew is someone who is fitting. Whatever, wherever Adam is weak, then man, uh, boy, she will be strong. They will come together. As a matter of fact, God looked at everything He made and He said, this is good and this is good and that's good. And one day He said, man, it is very good. But the first time He saw something in creation, He said, it's not good. He said, it is not good that man should live alone. So He made him a helpmeet. That's about the best we can translate that word. It means someone fitting for him. Boy, in my own marriage, it is so incredible how where I am weak, my wife is strong. I'm just telling you, it is incredible how God brought us together. It, it just, it is so amazing that that could happen. But it in knowing God, it suggests intimacy, a unique kind of relationship, vulnerability where we become one with Him. Last of all, Jesus prayed that we'd see His glory, understand His gift, and that we could experience His grace. His grace. He said, Father, I'm going to leave these people here. And then there'll be other believers that will follow them. And, and the evil one is going to roam to and fro. He'll be after them. And I've already made them enemies with the world because I gave them your word. And your word don't go around kissing feet. Your word doesn't go around trying to be popular with everybody. Your word doesn't say yes today and no tomorrow. It says what it means, and it means what it says. And so since I have given them your word, guess what? The world already hates them. Already hates them. He says, so first of all, he says, be with them concerning their security. Verse 11, I've already pretty much said it, but I'm no longer in the world yet that themselves are. Our world is a tough place to be. It's a tough place to be a Christian. I can just tell you, and even if we're not being tormented physically, boy, it's just, I, I, I don't know. There's just so much. There's, there's people that I know and love and care about, but because I have stood for the truth of God's Word, and I've never been struck physically even one time for my faith. So I feel like a hypocrite to stand here and say this. But it still hurts when you lose friends. It still hurts when people look at you like you're an idiot or a moron or you're a simpleton. Or if you had as much intellect as they had, then you would know better than to believe in all of that stuff. I am just telling you, when you accept the Word of God, you become an enemy of the world. I think the church forgot that. We got all kind of plans and programs and ideas and books and authors and preachers out there trying to help the church fit in better with the world. There is a disconnect there that has to be made at the cross. 
We can't make it. He prayed also for our security, our unity. In verse 11, he said that they may be one even as we are. Submission to him that we would be unified. We'd be as one. All this fighting and stuff that Christians do sometimes, I can tell you, it hurts our testimony. And it is not the desire that Christ had for us. I'm not saying that we have to agree on every little detail, but when it comes to the Word of God, that we're a family. When it comes to being born again, you are my brother and you are my sister. We are a family and, and we ought to live and act as one. He also prayed for our holiness. He says, for their sakes, he says, I'm going to sanctify myself by going to the cross that they also will be sanctified. Sanctification here means to set, be set apart for something particular that God has for us to do. He says, set them apart, God. Let the world know that that person has a special calling in their life. That person's got something to do. It's bigger than a career. It's bigger than college. It's bigger than who they marry. It's bigger than all of that. They got something that I have set them apart to do. And God, I pray that you would set them apart just as I am about to set myself apart. Being sanctified is not some kind of religious fumigation where God sprays you down and kill all those sin insects. Sin sex. I need to be careful with that word. Last of all, he prayed for our joy. He says, but now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Man. Every time a saint dies, Jesus' prayer is answered. He says, Father, one day I want them to come and be with me. I want them to come and be where I am. I want those people that were willing to believe that I came from you. So many treated me like I was a liar. Even when they saw me perform miracles, you remember what they said? They said, well, you do that with a, divine, with a, with a supernatural power, but it's from the devil. He said, that's what my own people said about me. He said, but Father, he said, these that I'm leaving behind believe me. They believed me. And he says, there'll be other sheep, not from this fold, but I'll bring them in too. And there'll be one fold and one shepherd. After the service today, Pastor George will be leading a class on uh, double covenant theology. Not really. I'm just telling you, friend, this is some of the most awesome news. We got to go in the Holy of Holies today and watch our high priest pray for us. This is what Jesus wants. This is what he wants.
And one of these days, I don't know when, but yes, it does give me great joy. Great joy to know that one day I will be with him. And he's left me here for now. And he's set me apart for a work I got to do. But he prays to the Father in heaven, take, take care of Mike. Take care of Mike. The evil one is after him. And one of these days, we'll bring him home. And he'll get to see what it was like with you and I before the world was ever even made. We'll be with God forever. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now that you would take so much that wasn't said today and speak to our hearts with it. Things maybe that were said today that were confusing. God, I pray that you would clarify it. I pray, God, that Lord, that we would get more from this passage than what we just heard today from this pulpit, God. I don't know of anyone that could exhaust the truth from what we read today. And especially not me. But I ask you, Father, let this passage live on in our hearts this week. That we go back and read it again. That, Lord, we would realize and know what a precious gift it is to have you as our high priest, Lord. Help us to stop trying to justify our sins. Let's help us, God, to let you be our advocate before the Father. Let's help us, God, to allow you to forgive us and, and for you to go before the Father in heaven, God, in our behalf, Lord. I pray that we would stop defending and just surrender ourselves to you. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.